Welcome to the Awakening Church Podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Good morning. Great to see you. Welcome to Awakening. We're absolutely thrilled to have you. Happy Sunday morning. If you're new, my name's Ryan. Um, And like Christina said, and I talked about it last week, I want to do a little bit of review on that. Uh, We not only kicked off a brand new series called Above and Beyond, we uh, stepped into a brand new season as a, in the life of our church that's really exciting as a church about what's next. In fact, this moment and the moments to come are some of the things that are going to lay the foundation for the next decade uh, of impact for us as a church. And so because of that, I always want to remind us of why we gather, why we're doing this uh, as a church. And it's not just because it's really nice and I love the music and Ryan seems to be engaging. Chris, man, he's really intellectual. I like that a lot, right? Okay. <laughs> I, I, I know some things too, but he's, he's smarter. Okay. <laughs> but here's why we gather. We exist as a church to awaken this generation to new life in Jesus. It's about lives being changed by the reality of the gospel that we don't celebrate a Savior that died. We celebrate a Savior that rose from the grave and has conquered sin, death, and Satan, and deposits brand new life into every single one who calls upon his name. You know, one of the exciting parts for us as a church, um, my prayer has been, and I can't wait till we get here, my prayer, like in Acts 2, I think it's like 42 or something like that, uh, is where it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved, like, my dream, church, is that, that the Lord would add to our number daily, that we'd just look up and just go, wow, 365 people came to know Jesus this year because of this church. You know what's awesome, though? On the process, we're seeing that happen weekly. Every single week, people are coming to know Jesus here in this gathering together, and we're on the way to seeing that vision become a reality. It's so exciting. And I think about last week when we live in this, you know, set up church plant world, uh, which is awesome and yet difficult at the same time where we didn't have our normal Saturday setup. I don't know if you know this, but all this has to be set up, torn down every single week. So we set up Saturday, and then we set up Sunday, and then we tear down Sunday afternoon. We bribe people on teardown with basketball to help with teardown. And I think about Rochelle, who showed up at 6 a.m. along with 15 other people to set up served throughout the course of the day, then served in our startup ministry. By the way, I I know you look around and, hey, it's pretty full in here. You know why there's actually a few seats? Startup. Because people are, we had 70, 80 people sign up for startup, and you have to attend the second service to go to the one o'clock thing. So we've created a little bit more room in here for people to gather. But Rochelle served from 6 a.m. Think about this. Just serve from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Why? Because it's not just a gathering of people and community. It's being a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, that has eternal 
impact and significance and weight to it. And so this season is that we're leaning into, okay, God, above and beyond. We want more. We believe we come to the God who, who can do above and beyond what we ask or imagine. And so what does that look like for us as a church? Well, we're stepping into something called, we're calling the Above and Beyond Campaign. We believe we serve a God who goes above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. And so we want to be in a position to steward the blessing of God. And I just want to let you know that we have been praying and fasting as a staff and as a leadership, not just for months, but for years about what's next. This is the culmination and the invitation for us as a church body to step into what is next as a church. And you need to know, we've had actually a building team. We like and love Del Mar. We always will like and love Del Mar. But we also would love to have a place that's a strategic training center for unleashing and raising up the next generation of leaders so that we can do more and leverage our energy in ways that would be all about reaching this generation together, right? Think about the countless hours of, that it takes every single Sunday, which is, I'm so grateful. Every time I walk onto our campus, I'm so grateful for the women and men who serve so faithfully. And just imagine if we could refocus that energy into outside our doors. Now, we've been praying for a building for a long time. We've been talking about it with many of you, so you've heard some of this. The reality is, is we're actually not in a position, if God was to give us a free building right now, to be able to step into that. Uh, the picture that I've used with some people, and maybe you've heard this before, is the picture of surfing. Anybody surf? Anybody sur surfers? Surfers? I am all by myself. Oh, there you go. There we got one. We got one. Um, so I grew up in Santa Cruz. I love to surf. I don't do it near as much as I uh, would like to anymore. But there's this picture with surfing. And if you ever go out to like Santa Cruz and watch, you'll, especially where there's some beginner surfers, you'll notice that they'll paddle as hard as they can and they can't quite seem to catch the wave. Or they'll be way inside, they'll paddle really hard and they'll get slammed by the wave. And then you'll notice that there's some guys that actually know and gals actually know what they're doing. And it seems like they barely paddle at all, and they catch the wave. Well, because the way the wave comes in, there's a point where it hits the reef that it jacks up, and it's the takeoff spot. It literally bowls up. We call it the bowl. And if you're in that position, you don't have to work very hard. You just get to catch the wave. See, what above and beyond is for us as a church is to get us in position to steward the blessing that God is doing here right now in a way that we couldn't otherwise do it. And so what does this look like? Uh, we're embarking on a two-year campaign to raise $1.5 million above and beyond our regular giving to strategically position us for what God has next. Well, what are we going to accomplish with that? 20% is going to go immediately outside our doors over the course of two years, 151 year, 150 in the next year. For those who've been around our church a long time, you know we've done a generous campaign. This will be in place of a generous campaign and increase our generosity in incredible ways. Now, you need to know as a church, our general budget, we already give 10% immediately outside our doors. Right now, this year, we'll support just Campus Crusade, or crew now, 66 grand just this year. 
We'll give over $90,000 just already as a church, and then think about another $150,000 going to support the works in Haiti and to support uh, works here, not only at Del Mar, but uh, we want to engage in a significant way around the area of human trafficking here in the Bay. 80% will go then to a long-term location a strategic training center for this generation. Well, how will we accomplish this? Well, we're going to give above what we normally give to go beyond what we're normally able to go. It's not about incremental change. This is about a catalytic start for us. We're teaching this way. We're spending six weeks in this uh, I'm actually going to our groups. One of my favorite things in this season has been amazing. I've already visited six of our groups. If you're not in a small group at Awakening, get a part of one. They're amazing. Like, that's the lifeblood of our church. And I've visited these groups, and they're phenomenal. We're not just a church with groups. We're a church of groups. And I can't tell you how amazing our groups are that, that are growing together to become more like Jesus. The hunger, the passion, the desire for Jesus, and the, the joy of getting to gather together. Um, you'll hear more, but we, we want to lead the way by prayer. And so we have a prayer strategy as a church and I, I truly believe leaders go first. And so we're asking our leadership, our leadership council, our staff to go first and say, hey, we're going to sacrificially give above and beyond what we regularly give so that we can go beyond where we've normally been able to go. And so key date, and I want you to write this in your notes, key date, November 11th. You got the heads up. I want it to be a Sunday where all of us show up. And if all of us show up, we won't be able to fit in here, which would be a great problem. Uh, standing room only Sunday. I would love it. All right, November 11th, and it's the date where we as a church are going to say, okay, we're going to commit. We're in. This is what we're committing to. We'll give you plenty of time to pray and dream and say, okay, I'm going to sacrificially give. I'm going to give up my coffee. Maybe you're a college student and you realize, hey, I'm going to give up my coffee. Uh, okay, maybe not. That's a bad idea. <laughs> we just got a church full of grumpy people. <laughs> but you think about, okay, maybe there's some things in your life that you go, I'm going to, I'm going to set aside for a season so that I can be a part of this and what God's doing here. Okay, so I just, I just want to give you maybe some, uh, I want to shift gears here for you. As we're having this conversation, you'll hear more throughout the series about Above and Beyond, but I thought I'd take a few minutes and do kind of the top FAQs, the top three questions that I've been getting. Uh, and so let me just do that quickly with you. Um, first question I get a lot is, why can't we stay at Del Mar forever? <laughs> well, um, one, because that question is from someone who's not a part of the setup and teardown team. Um, thank you very much. But, but re reality, look around. We are beginning to max out our capacity, adults and kids. Amazing thing. 25% year-over-year growth as a church. That means 50% of you weren't here two years ago. We're just growing. 40% this year alone in our kids' ministry. We are growing, and when you bring that out and you just think, how are we going to continue to be able to allow people to encounter Jesus here? 
Uh, another thing that you know and you experienced, we talked about it last week, we're not guaranteed rental space. It's subject to change at a moment's notice. Like next Sunday, we weren't no, going to have this space. We spent countless hours figuring out, okay, what, how are we going to move hundreds of people and what are we going to do to be able to make church happen and for us to have this experience? And then all of a sudden it came available again. Uh, we have the best problems in the world to solve, by the way. Um, I know some people or some churches that are arguing about the color of the carpet. We don't have that here. We, we have the problem, because we don't have carpet, <laughs> is we need ongoing access to larger space both on Sunday and midweek to facilitate our worship gatherings, mid-sized gatherings, school of faith, protege, leadership events, men's and women's groups, and office space. Uh, just this week, you had over 20 moms gathered together, growing uh, during the day. Amazing. And they have babies, lots of babies. I, can't, I was like 16, 17 babies. And we need to be able to serve both really well. And we can't right now. We have, a, we have maxed out our current office. We're actually going to be moving office space temporarily, but we'd like to have it all under one house eventually. Uh, what kind of building are we looking for? You know, real briefly, let me talk about the area just so you can get that. We're looking in this area. Willow Glen, Rose Garden, Campbell, parts of Santa Clara. We want to be strategically located so that if you're a college student, you can get to us easily. And we want you as families, because you're like, oh, we're a bunch of families in here. You're talking about college kids. Yeah, raising up the next generations about your kids loving Jesus for a lifetime. And by the way, the college kids are right now serving your kids. So hello, we're going to make sure they can come so they can love on your kids. What's, what's our size? We need about twenty to 25,000 square feet. The challenge here is we actually need about 200 parking spots. What buildings are we looking at? Well, we're looking at warehouses, uh, church buildings, schools, car dealerships, and above and beyond that, no pun intended, there. Why? This is the question I get, though. This is really the question I get. In. Why don't we just pray for a free building, Ryan? Oh, thank you. As a pastor, that's the one thing I forgot about. No, I'm serious. We get this question a lot. And I'm like, okay, first of all, we have, we are, and we will continue to be praying for a free building. The truth of the matter is, is even if we got a free building, financially, we wouldn't be able to utilize it the way we need to utilize it without the capital. Uh, our current officing space, there's a, a church that just kind of merged together. And if you've ever been there, and we office out of this church, and it was like, like, oh, man, wouldn't it be great if we got a building like that? Well, buildings like that need a lot of work. And if you just try to walk up the stairs to our office, you know it's a safety hazard, and you could die. And the minute you, you have to do all that work, it costs a lot of money. So this is part of the process. So let me tell you how we're going to pray. Every Thursday, our staff gathers together at 1230 and prays together. You're invited. 
You're invited. We'd love to have you. Join us. Well, I can't join you, Ryan. I work somewhere else. Fantastic. At 1220, we're going to do an Instagram Live just highlighting what we're talking about so you can pray wherever you're at. Join the mission. Join the vision. Start praying with us. Hey, every Sunday, by the way, our team prays together, preparing the way for what God's going to do here. And at 9 a.m., you're invited. Come early. Get coffee. And then you can be in this room early, which would be awesome. Because some of you are missing out. You didn't know we had two sets of worship. I'm sorry. Was that too close to home? And then this prayer guide. Take this with you. Put it on your fridge. Keep it in your Bible. Keep it at your office. And would you daily just begin to work out? Each week, you can see you have some reflection questions and some passages and begin to pray with us. We're going to talk on prayer in just a second, but wherever prayer focuses, the power of God falls. And as we gather together as a community, just imagine. As we pray together and band arms together for what God wants to see happen in this valley, just imagine what God's going to do in the outpouring of his grace on this city and that he would choose and delights to use us. All right, so that's our above and beyond campaign. Uh, let me pray for us, and we'll dive into, I'm not even to the sermon yet, guys. <sighs> let me pray for us, and we'll dive into the sermon. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have called us, that you love us, that you have a purpose and a plan individually and corporately for us. Thank you for letting us get to be a part of this community. Thank you for this space that we get to gather in and experience you. God, thank you for this school and what you're doing here. God, may we continue to lean in on you. And God, we ask that you would do way beyond what we could ever ask or imagine, that you would blow us away. And in this moment, will you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Above and Beyond series is talking about living life above and beyond the status quo, above and beyond mediocrity, above and beyond just existing through life and going through the motions to a life of significance, a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life that makes a difference in this planet. And did you know, God is searching for a specific type of person. Last week, we talked about this incredibly powerful verse. It's found in 2 Chronicles 16.9. It is true in the Old Testament and is true today. It says this, that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he might strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That right now, God is searching Right now, God is sweeping across the nation of America. God is looking through Silicon Valley and in this room, and he's looking for someone whose heart is fully his. And he says, that is the condition upon which I want to strongly support them so that they might do and have a lasting impact on this planet. You notice, notice that God's not searching for the smartest person. Notice God's not searching for the most talented or educated or gifted. Notice he's not searching for the super spiritual. 
Well, it's the pastor, the missionary. He's searching for one person, one man, one woman who says, God, you have my heart. God, you have my heart. The principle here is God chooses and uses ordinary people whose hearts are fully his to do extraordinary things. God chooses, God delights to use ordinary, everyday people like you and me. Think about that. He says, I I long to use your life in a way that you couldn't even fathom. And there's just one condition. Do I have your heart? Do I have your heart? The question, will we answer the call as a church? Will we answer the call as individuals, to make a significant impact, to be different makers in our world at this pivotal moment in history. Well, the series, an overview, is in this series, we are examining the conditions that characterize those whom God strongly supports, who God uses to make a significant impact. Our model is Nehemiah. We're studying the book of Nehemiah as we look at his life Nehemiah was a successful business person at the top of his industry, if we put it in modern day terms, living the life, had power, prestige, influence, and wealth. And yet something got a hold of his heart that allowed him to embrace a calling above and beyond his current comfortable way of living. Nehemiah was a, lived in Persia, was a Jewish exile. And was cupbearer to the king. It's the highest uh, position that any foreigner could hold in that day. Now, a little context before we dive in is in 586 BC, Jerusalem was besieged by Babylon, was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, the walls were destroyed, and they brought the best and the brightest back to Babylon. Seventy years after that, Persia conquered Babylon, and the Persian king, to bring stability to the entire empire, began to return all the exiles that um, were brought to Babylon to begin to have the goodwill of all the uh, different nations that were now under his reign. And so at that point, uh, the Israelites were allowed to return back to Jerusalem, and many did, and some stayed. Nehemiah's family, and his he was part of the group that stayed, and there was a group under Ezra and Zerubbabel that went back to Jerusalem, and they rebuilt the temple. Seventy years later, we pick up the story of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is living in the lap of luxury, the second in command, really, as a cupbearer, with incredible influence and affluence. And his brothers return from Jerusalem, and he begins to ask this question. How's it going? You know, 70 years ago, and by the way, a building project took a long time in that day. <laughs> 70 years ago, they, they started the rebuilding of the temple, and I know, that, I know that Ezra tried to rebuild the walls, and that didn't really work out so well. So, so how's it going? And his brothers say, not good. Not good at all. In fact, the walls are torn down and the people are in disgrace. Man, our dream and what we thought would happen with our hometown, the city of God, it's all fallen apart. 
And Nehemiah, who had never been to Jerusalem, who was born in captivity, who had everything to lose in this moment, his heart began to break for the things that broke God's heart. And we said that the first condition for us to be the type of people that God strongly supports is a dislocated heart is a heart that just begins to break for the things that break God's heart. That's why I hope that you have this card that Christina talked about. I hope you have it somewhere. If you don't, grab one in the back and just begin to pray this prayer and watch what God will do in your life. Heavenly Father, because that's our starting place with God, would you break my heart for the things that break your heart? Now, one of the more powerful things, I think, about the process of Nehemiah, because what we're going to see out of his life, and he wasn't a clergy, he wasn't a prophet, he was a business person. He, he was a person that said, hey, I got these resources and these talents and these skills, could God use that? And he says, well, I'm going to bring them to you, and whatever you do, bring, uh, God, if you can use that, and God used Nehemiah powerfully to change the entire trajectory of the nation of Israel. And every day, Ordinary business person. Now, I don't know about you, but my natural inclination is the minute I get an idea is to execute. Uh, in the Strength Finders, for those of you who know that, I have activator, which means shoot and then aim, basically, is my personality. And for many of us, one of our great disappointments with God is we've taken that approach. We, our hearts begin to break for the things that break God's heart, but we don't stay there. We try to fix and solve immediately in our own strength. The second condition, the second condition is not just a dislocated heart, but is a dependent spirit. A dependent spirit. In fact, Nehemiah, with, along with his brothers and friends, will fast and pray four months before he makes a move. Four months as he mourned and prayed and fasted. And if we are going to be a people that God does extraordinary things through, we must be a people who are extraordinarily dependent upon our God. I don't know who said this, but I like it, so I'll say it too. If the measure of what you can do is you, at your best, you will do all you can do. If the measure of what you can do is what God can do, at your worst, he will do more through you than you could ever do on your best day. See, the quality or the condition for us, if we're going to see that vision come to reality of an awakening of a generation, is if we're defined as a people of prayer that are deeply dependent on God. A God-dependence, not independence. A God-confidence, not self-confidence. A God-reliance, not self-reliance. And by the way, our prayer life reveals just how dependent we are. You want to know whether you're independent or God-dependent, just look at your prayer life. And in Nehemiah, we get an inside look over those four months of what he was praying. These are the summary thoughts over those core times. And in it, we learn how to develop a dependent 
Spirit. And so let's pick it up in chapter 1, verse 4. How do we develop a dependent spirit? The first thing is we got to look up. A dependent spirit begins with a high view of God. A high view of God. Not a low view, obviously. That's the opposite of that. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Well, what did I pray? Lord, circle that word, Lord. The God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his command. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. How do we develop a dependent spirit? A dependent spirit begins with a high and holy view of God. Let's go back through that text, Lord. And you'll notice in your notes and in your Bible that it's all caps. Any time in the Old Testament, you see Lord in all caps. That's the translators telling us that it's not just Lord like Lord. This is Yahweh. This is God's covenant name. Like you are the God who who revealed yourself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the God who showed up to Moses in a fiery bush. This is your covenant name with your people. You are Yahweh, I am, which would remind us that I am not. We come to the I am, his covenant name. Then it moves on to God in heaven. This is his position that he is over all earth, great and awesome, that he is all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, who keeps his covenant of love. That word love is hesed, his covenant-keeping, long-standing love. It's his character. He, he gets back to the character of God. If we're going to develop a dependent spirit, we have to regain a high view of God. And here's what we naturally do. We bring God down to our level, don't we? We just kind of pull him down because God's safer that way, by the way. God becomes the God we can control and we can use to our needs and our wants and our desires. When we think about Jesus, he shifts from being our sacred Savior who invites us into friendship to being our just buddy. See, like when we think about the greatness of God, all of a sudden, we, we now are leaning in and are able to do the things God has called us to that are great. But, but when we pull him down into our level, we'll never trust him for anything great because he's not big enough for it. I mean, like when you pray. I mean, just let me, let me do this for a second. Like, like when you pray, do you realize who you're talking to? I mean, do, do, do you get it? And at some point, we can't fully get it. He's, he's way beyond us. But I, I mean, do you get it? Like, like the application here is to worship, to ascribe worth. And you think about Isaiah and his encounter when, when he comes into the temple and, and the angels are declaring one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. I mean, do you get it? That when you speak and you're ushered into the throne room of God, you're invited there by the blood of the lamb. You can step forward with confidence because of what Jesus did, but you step forward on sacred ground and so you naturally go low because he's God like he's God he's high he's holy he's sovereign he's all-powerful all-knowing he's the creator who gives you life 
and breath. Like, like, like when we worship, when we sing these songs, that's, what we, that's who we worship. Because God. See, see, our picture of God has been so pulled down and so diluted, and we don't have this high and holy view of God. And so when we lean into him, we miss out. When we worship as a community, just imagine if you just began to think thoughts that are accurate and true of who he is and said, whoa. Like, when's the last time you said, oh, my God, and it wasn't because you hit your thumb, but you just were in awe of the splendor of God. You see his majesty and his glory revealed throughout all of creation, and you just go, whoa. And we worship. We worship that God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, I love this line. He says, before the uncreated fire of God, holiness, angels veil their faces. Before the uncreated fire of God's holiness, angels veil their faces. That vision that Isaiah had, it says, with two wings they would fly, and with two they covered their feet in holy servitude, and with two they covered their eyes, because in the presence of God, his holiness was too much, even for angelic beings to take like a glance at. And if we're going to become a people who are dependent, it begins with a high view of God. And what that does, what it does is when we look up and see God for who he is, we naturally can't help but begin to look in and see ourselves as we truly are. A dependent spirit leads then to an accurate assessment of yourself. Notice the next shift in, I, in Nehemiah's um, prayer. I confess underline that word, I confess. We don't know how to do that today anyways. Confess. I confess. I own up to. I take responsibility for. I confess the sins in the circle. This we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Circle, we have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. If we're going to become a people who depend on the Spirit of God and so experience the Spirit of God's power, we see God as who He is in a high and holy view, and then we see ourselves accurately in light of who He is, and we just go, I confess. Confession simply means to agree with God. Confession means to admit to And here's what we do. Instead of admitting and agreeing with God about his estimation of what's right and what's true, we argue with God. Some of you who have kids have this experience because you call your kids out on something and they tell you why they're disobeying you. I know why you're disobeying me. The truth is you're just disobeying. All you need to say is, I'm sorry, Don, move on. And yet we still do the same thing with God. 
And we tell him, hey, this is why I'm disobeying you. This is why I'm going through this. This is why. And he says, no, no, no. I confess. What do you confess? Notice the individual and the corporate confession of Nehemiah. In our individualistic society of America, we've lost this. I think, church, we need to confess the sins of the church. I think historically, we like to sweep it under the rug, and that was then the crusades and slavery. Confess it was wrong, it was evil, it was ungodly, it's not the way of Jesus. It's part of our history, and we're sorry. Confess. Confess what it looks like to be an American Christian. And we've gotten the order wrong because we're a Christian American, not the American Christian. Huffington Post wrote an article about a year ago, said, exposing America's biggest hypocrites, evangelical Christians. Scathing, scathing article. We confess that in the America, Christians have chosen politics over Jesus. Confess that online, Christians have chosen words of condemnation instead of compassion. Confess. Confess that we say one thing and live another, and that's called hypocrisy. We confess that the church in America is not living up to its redemptive potential. But it's not out there. It's in here. I confess the sins we. See, it's so easy to look out there and go, isn't it good we're not them? Isn't it good we're better Christians than them? Isn't it good that we got it all right? And the fact is, it's just not true. I confess my pride. (laughs) These are sins we ignore, by the way. I confess my greed. Dependence on my things. I confess my envy and my lust and my lying, my anger. I confess, oh, here's a sin we don't talk about. It's one of the seven deadlies. Gluttony. Confession positions you to be used by God. Until we get clean before a holy God, we are out of position and will not be used by him. And so we go, okay, a dependent spirit is a high and holy view of God. And we begin to look up and see God for who he is. And that moment, we look in and see ourselves as we are. And for some, this morning is a moment of freedom because you've been carrying things for a long time. And you had no idea there's this passage called 1 John 1, 9 that is so powerful and so true for you in this moment that if we confess our sins... If we admit it, if we acknowledge it, if we finally start agreeing with God and stop arguing, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. It's his faithfulness, not our faithfulness. And it just, it's about his justice. And his justice was executed on the cross so that he paid for our sin for all of eternity, for all of humanity in that singular moment upon his son. And will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And for some, this morning is a moment where you got to go, God, I confess, I've just brought you down to my level. 
And I haven't seen you for who you are. And today, I'm coming back, and I'm thinking about you, and I'm looking up, and I'm just in awe and wonder. And honestly, it's a little too much for me. And his grace meets you there. And he invites you in. And in a great, he's high and holy God, and yet he invites us, and he says, I'm your father at the same time. And finally, we look out. A dependent spirit results in a renewed passion to fill God's agenda, not ours. Remember, verse 8, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I'll gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling place for my name. I, Nehemiah is reminding God of what God said. That's, by the way, a powerful way to pray when you go back to God's word and say, remember, God, what you said? Remember, this is your word. This is true. You promised. And he says, I'm fulfilling my promises. He's reminding them of Leviticus 26, verse 27 and 28. He's reminding God of Deuteronomy 28, verse 64, and Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 5. He says, remember that. See, Nehemiah knew God's word. Nehemiah knew what God was up to in history. Nehemiah knew the promises of God, and he says, I'm going to align my life with that, putting my life in your care, the great and holy one. I'm going to bring my life before you, confess it, and then I'm going to get onto your agenda and not my agenda. The application is intercession. To intervene on behalf of another. To stand in the gap. To keep standing and not giving up. Say, God, this is your heart. You desire that none perish but all come to know you. Well, I'm praying for my neighbors. Well, I'm praying for my, my workplace. I'm praying for my campus. I'm praying for my nation. I'm interceding. Imagine if we began to intercede for our nation instead of complaining about it. Imagine if we began to intercede for our city instead of accepting this is just the way it is. Imagine if we began to pray and intercede for our neighbors and our community and our friends and our workplaces instead of just go, this is life. I'm just going to do my thing. Let me ask you this. What's the bravest prayer you could pray? Like, like, what is it? Like, what's the bravest prayer you could pray? I was challenged with this thought this last week. If God answered my prayers from this last week, what would change in our world? If his was immediate yes, what would change in our city? What would change in our nation? See, this prayer card is for us to become a people of prayer. That we say, we're going to lean in begins with a heart that begins to break for God's heart, a dislocated heart, and then moves to a dependent spirit going, God, this is way too big for, than me, and so I'm going to depend, I'm going to rely on you. Let me give you some summary principles here. First, we must let God work deeply in us before he'll work significantly through us. It's easy to run past this part because it's hard, isn't it? 
I confess, I, I, I got stuff that I've been holding on to. I got stuff that I've been keeping to myself. I don't want to go there. And confession brings healing. James talked about this. Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. And for some, your porn addiction is because you kept it in secret. And you won't experience healing until you begin to get and confess. Until we make prayer a priority, progress and power will never be a reality. Right after that, James, James 5.16, he says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, I'm not righteous. <sighs> not me. Positionally, when you step into a relationship with Jesus, you are covered by the blood of the Lamb. You are declared righteous, made a saint, not a sinner, no longer. And you stand before God as his beloved daughter or son. And when God looks at you, he actually doesn't see you. He sees his son. You are a saint Declared righteous by the work of God, not by your own right. And positionally, we get in place when we see God and we confess it and we begin to move to his agenda. He says, I move towards you every time in that place. And then finally, different makers are not necessarily those who, with a lot to give, but those who make available all they have. It's not about, I gotta be a CEO or have lots of money or have all this time. God chooses and uses ordinary people who say, here's all that I have, God. I want to move to your agenda. He chooses and uses college students and those in the career, single, married, young professional, retirees, and the rest. This past week, um, was a hard week in the life of our church. There's a gal in our church that on Friday went home to be with the Lord. And um, Chris and I got to spend a little bit of time with her on Wednesday before that happened. It's amazing how at the end of life, your priorities become so clear, isn't it? And as we were talking, I, I remember her saying this, I just want to know that my life made a difference. In that room, she was surrounded with people whose lives she impacted. At the end of the day, you just want to know that your life made a difference that you've made an impact, that God used you. I want to invite us not to talk about prayer, but to pray. To allow God to do the work in us in this moment because he's been working, he's been speaking. And so I'm actually going to invite us to do something that we don't normally do and it will be uncomfortable because this room, I'm going to invite us to get on our knees, our posture before God. And as we close in worship for you to allow God to bring to your mind and heart what he's been doing and say, God, here I am. 
the God of the universe, high, holy, exalted, glorified God. God, I confess I've brought you down into my world, into my level, and I'm putting you back on the throne. Not that you weren't on the throne already, but I just in my mind brought you down from the throne. God, I confess that I've been just doing life my way. I confess that besetting sin. I confess, God, that I need you. Would you use me to be a difference maker at my school? my workplace, my neighbors and friends.